On the 13th of May, 1917, a Sunday, three young children were playing in the fields on the coast of Portugal, sharing lunch together after mass and building castles out of rocks. Suddenly, and without warning, it was a clear day without a cloud in the sky, a bright shaft of light pierced the air. Startled by this, the children looked to each other, and, fearing that the flash had been a flash of lightning and the omen of a storm, the children decided to drop their stones and start heading home. They began to make their way down the hill that they had climbed to reach the spot that they shared, when about halfway down as they passed a tall oak tree, another shaft of light split the air. What happened next was going to lead the next six months of their lives, and for one, would define their lifetime. The Lady of Light Panicky with fear, and as if led by some unknown power, they took a few steps, turned towards the right, and there, standing over the foliage of a small holm oak, they saw the most beautiful lady. Lucia, one of the three children, records, It was a lady dressed all in white, more brilliant than the sun shedding rays of light, clear and stronger than a crystal glass filled with the most sparkling water pierced by the burning rays of the sun. This lady of light asked them to return to this spot on the same day, at the same hour, every month for the next six months. After speaking with the children, she began to elevate herself serenely, said Lucia, going in the direction of the east until she disappeared in the immensity of space, still surrounded by the most brilliant light that seemed to open a path for her through the myriad galaxies of stars. After remaining a while in awe of what they had just experienced, the three children, Lucia, Jacinta, and Francisco, the latter of which are siblings, swore to each other that they would keep this secret between each other and return home. It was not long before, in her excitement, Jacinta had let the story slip to her mother. From there the story spread overnight around the village and made its way back to Lucia and her family. Most were not welcoming of this tale and refused to believe them, ridiculing the children and calling them liars. By the time the month had passed, and the next visit when the lady had told them to return, there had been much commotion among the village, its clergy, and the three young children. The day of the next coming fell on St. Anthony's Day, when all were supposed to attend a feast of celebration. Obviously, the children wanted to return as they had been told. Lucia had gathered girls from her first communion and planned to return to the site as she had been instructed. The pastor had recommended allowing her to go and to see what came of it, and so her mother followed in secret to see if she was speaking the truth, alongside the intention of keeping her from harm as much of the village had not taken kindly to these lies the children had spread. She, on her way to following the children, came into contact with some out-of-towners who had come to see the children from over 30 miles away. The story had spread far. The First Miracle In total, there were more than 50 people that turned up to witness the possibility of a second apparition that they believed to be their fair lady, the Virgin Mary. There were the children, family members, some sick and crippled seeking a miracle, and even those who had traveled far to possibly bear witness to this divinity. It was shortly after 11 o'clock when the children, once again, surrounded by a gathering of witnesses this time, were greeted by their apparition. While they did not see what the children saw, they heard something that sounded like a gentle voice, but were not able to understand it. It is like the gentle humming of a bee, Maria de Cabellinha whispered. Once again, the lady spoke with Lucia while the others were present, at one stage opening her hands to them and reflecting the immense light that enveloped her. 
In this light, the children saw themselves submerged in God. This light penetrated us to the heart and allowed us to see ourselves in God, who is that light, more clearer than we see ourselves in a mirror. Afterward, once again the lady began to ascend to the east. As she left, Maria de Capalina, one of the witnesses, reports hearing the hissing of a distant rocket. Witnesses also reported a small cloud that hovered just a few inches above the foliage of the tree that, when the lady was said to ascend, appeared to be rising slowly towards the east. After this occurrence, the witnesses spoke happily of attending, and other members of the town were regretful having not attended. From this day on, Lucia records that there were visitors to the site, where the lady had been seen, almost daily, paying their respects to the site. The children did not attend the fourth visit at the home oak tree where they had been told to visit every month, at the same hour, on the same day. The government of Portugal in the year 1917 was anti-clerical, as we will see in their response to the climactic day of October 13th, and the magistrate had inquired about the children, performing a coup of a sort, abducting and imprisoning the children, interrogating them to find out the truth, to find out the secret they had been told to keep by their lady. The magistrate even threatened to boil them in oil until they died if they did not tell. Of course, this was just a ploy in an attempt to scare each child after the next, telling them that their friends had already been killed, and that the same fate would befall them if they did not give up the secret. Not one of them caved, and they each came to find that their friends had been locked up safely. Obviously still disturbing to lock up a child, nonetheless. They were kept in prison overnight, and so did not attend their lady's visit on August 13, 1917. This did not stop a large crowd of some 18,000 from still attending the site, however, and while the children did not attend, there was still much to be witnessed. The first occurrence on the day of August 13th was the sound of thunder that broke up the commotion and anger towards the magistrate and why they had taken the children. Right after the thunder came a flash, and immediately we all noticed a little cloud, very white, beautiful and bright, that came and stayed over the homo. This is a recurring theme, happening at every event thus far. It was followed by a new experience. Clouds in the sky had turned crimson red and then changed to pink, yellow, and blue. Clouds around the sun reflecting different colors on the people. The witnesses saw falling flowers. The ground was in little squares, each one of different color. Our clothes seemed to be transformed also into the colors of the rainbow. A witness, Manuel Pedro, reports, Una especie de globo luminoso girando las nuevas. A luminous globe spinning through the clouds. A statement made under oath during the canonical inquiry concerning the signs of August 13, 1917. But the children were not abandoned. After they were finally released, on August 19th, while the children were attending to their sheet near Algestrel, where they had experienced the apparition, at approximately 4 p.m., they noticed a sudden lowering of the temperature. The sun, they said, became yellowish. The colors of the rainbow once again filled the countryside, visible to adults in the vicinity. The bright flash was seen, and a glowing light came to settle about a tree near the children. The entity, clothed in white and gold, stood once more in the center of the glow, and once again, after ten minutes, the Lady of Light departed slowly towards the east with a roaring sound. On September 13, 1917, the crowd had grown once again. Thirty thousand had come to witness the miracle this time. But the skepticism and disbelief wavered. 
This time it was not a government agent that was seeking to out a hoax, but two Jesuits bearing the distinctive Roman collar, who had come with the objective of debunking the miracles. Their report was as follows. Noon. The sun got dimmer, although no clouds were seen in the sky. Thousands cried. There she is. Look. A globe of light was seen by all, advancing slowly down from the valley, from east to west, toward the children. It came to rest on the tree. A white cloud formed, and out of the empty sky, shiny white petals began to fall. When questioned about what it was the priests believed they had seen, one stated that it was a heavenly vehicle that carried the Mother of God from her throne to this forbidden wasteland. They had certainly come around to the idea that this was no hoax. The children once again saw the lady in the center of a globe of light, and, once again, she promised a miracle on their next visit, the event that had been spoken of in all of the earlier meetings. October 13, 1917. The crowd, astonishingly, had once again grown even larger. This time it was estimated to be around 70,000. Nearby communities, towns, and villages emptied of people, said the reporter from Odia, a Lisbon newspaper. The story of the children had spread all over Portugal. They came on foot, buskins on their brawny legs, food bags on their heads, across the pine groves, along the sands. Remembering that this was a time when the Portuguese government was anti-religious, the visitors were met with soldiers trying to block the people. A relative of one witness and his family recalls, My father was injured by a bayonet puncture through his left hand as he tried to protect his father from the charging soldiers rushing towards the crowds of people. But there had been so many who had come to witness the miracle that the soldiers finally gave up. Finally, the miracle took place. As the apparition departed, the rain that had been pouring down on the enormous crowd stopped, the heavy clouds parted, and a silver sun enveloped in the same gauzy grey light was seen to whirl and turn in the circle of broken clouds, reported Odia newspaper. A weird disk that turns rapidly on its own axis and casts off beams of coloured lights in all directions. Shafts of red light shot out from the rim of the sun and coloured the clouds, the earth, the trees, the people. Then shafts of violet, of blue, of yellow, and of other colours followed in succession. The seconds seemed like hours, so vivid were they. The disc then stopped spinning and plunged downward in zigzag fashion toward the earth and horrified the spectators. There were witnesses for miles. Terrified, I ran and hid myself among the people, who were weeping and expecting the end of the world at any moment, Reverend Joaquin Lorenko recounts, who was in Alburitel at the time of the miracle, eleven miles away from the site. And so the story of Fatima and the little woman concludes as it was promised and prophesied. I ended on the note I did to debunk the idea that the miracle can be explained as a simple mass hallucination. There are many witness accounts of the phenomenon within an area as wide as 1,300 square miles. Mr. Albano Barros, some eight miles away, states in his testimony, I was watching the sheep, as was my daily task, and suddenly there, in the direction of Fatima, I saw the sun fall from the sky. Ignacio Lorenco, who was just a boy at the time, speaks of a skeptic. Near us was an unbeliever who had spent the morning mocking at the simpletons who had gone off to Fatima just to see an ordinary girl. He now seems to be paralyzed, his eyes fixed on the sun. Afterwards, he trembled from head to foot. It was an event witnessed and confessed to by non-believers and believers alike, witnesses present at the site and many miles away. 
The accounts given by many witnesses near and far corroborate the series of events that took place during the miracle of Fatima. Pio Schiatizzi, a scientist who studied the subject, concludes, Of the historic reality of this event, there can be no doubt whatsoever. That it was outside and against known laws can be proven by certain simple scientific considerations. Baron of Alviasia even carefully took precautions to be sure that he would not be the victim of suggestion. His testimony at the time of his death states, An indescribable impression overtook me. I only knew that I cried out, I believe, I believe, I believe. Another interesting side note is that at the time of the climactic event on October 13th, the sun, in accordance with the side-real zodiac, was found in the sign of Virgo, the Virgin. So, it begins to become clear that the phenomenon is of something more than simply collective suggestion. So what was it that happened? There was one further factor that took place, but not quite the last as we will see later, but only to those that have been directly at the site. Many people reported that the heat of the sun as it descended to the earth also had the effect of drying their clothes on the ground, so that they went from being completely soaked to being dry in about 10 minutes. So the heat of the sun, the disk, the object, that was seen to fall from the sky and come so close as to make the witnesses fear that this was the end of days, and that they would all burn, was a physical experience. The clothes were dry, and looked as though they had just come from the laundry. I believed. I thought. Either I'm out of my mind, or this was a real miracle. A real miracle? Taken from Mr. Dominic Rice's testimony. The question is, Was it the sun that fell from the sky, or was it something more? The subject is an interesting one indeed. While the evidence clearly shows that the events that transpired, the description of the sun varies, and its qualities are intriguing enough to create a desire for further investigation. It was said that the witnesses could look at the sun with ease. It appeared as a luminous disk on which it was possible to gaze without blinking, says Mabel Norton, an Englishwoman who had migrated to Portugal and was not Catholic. Most describe this sun as a disk and not a globe. Its qualities are also quite different from that of the sun. Odea reported, The grayish tint of mother of pearl began changing as if into a silver shining disk. The silvery sun was seen to rotate and wander within the circle of the receded crowds. Osecula reports, The sun called to mind a plate of dull silver. It could be stared at without the least effort. It did not burn or blind. Avelino de Almeida's personal testimony in Illustraco Portuguesa states, A disc of smoky silver appears at full zenith and begins to dance in a violent and convulsive dance, with very beautiful and shining colors successfully covering the face of the sun. Finally, one of, in my opinion, the most informative and detailed testimonies available on that day, from Dr. Almeida Garrett, professor at the University of Coimbra. The sun had broken jubilantly through the thick layer of clouds just a few moments before. It was shining clearly and intensely. I turned to this magnet that was drawing all eyes. It looked to me as a luminous and brilliant disk with a bright, well-defined rim. It did not hurt my eyes. The comparison, which I heard while still at Fatima, with a disk of dull silver, did not seem right to me. The color was brighter, far more active, and richer than dull silver with the tinted luster of the orient of a pearl. He continues, Everyone saw and felt that it was a body with life. It was not spheric like the moon, 
neither did it have an equal tonality of color. It looked like a brightly polished wheel of iridescent mother of pearl, and it could not be taken for the sun through the fog. There was no fog at that time. The rain and the fog had stopped. The sun was not opaque, veiled, or diffused. It gave light and heat and was brightly outlined by a beveled rim. It was a wonder that all this time it was possible for us to look at the sun, a blaze of light and burning heat, without any pain to the eyes or blinding of the retina. This is very interesting because there were many that had set up cameras in an attempt to capture an image, but its brightness had been too great. This phenomenon must have lasted about ten minutes, except for two interruptions when the sun darted forth its more refulgent, lightning-like rays that forced us to look away. The sun had an eccentricity of movement. It was not the scintillation of a celestial body at its highest power. It was rotating upon itself with exceedingly great speed. Suddenly, the people broke out with a cry of extreme anguish. The sun, still rotating, had unloosed itself from the skies and came hurtling towards the earth. During this solar occurrence, the air took on successively different colors. While looking at the sun, I noticed that everything around me darkened. Everything had the color of an amethyst. The sky, the air, everything and everybody. A little oak nearby was casting a heavy purple shadow on the ground. I turned, closed my eyes. With my back turned, I opened my eyes and I realized that the landscape and the air retained the purple hue. I ask again, was it the sun they saw? Jacques Vallée does not seem to think so. The final miracle had come at the culmination of a precise series of apparitions combined with contacts and messages that place it very clearly, in my opinion, in the perspective of UFO phenomena. Not only was a flying disc or globe consistently involved, but its motion, its falling leaf trajectory, its light effects, the thunderclaps, the buzzing sounds, the strange fragrance, the fall of angel hair that dissolves upon reaching the ground, the heat wave associated with the close approach of the disc, all of these are constant parameters of UFO sightings everywhere. That is not to say that he's suggesting an extraterrestrial or outer space source or point of origin. In fact, the discussion that has taken place is that of a non-material entity that bends the rules of our reality, perceived by ourselves when we enter an altered state of consciousness. We are faced with a technology that transcends the physical and is capable of manipulating our reality generating a variety of altered states of consciousness and of emotional perceptions. Is this that different from what we describe as God? I put forward the possibility that it is simply us, in the nature of humanity, that must define something and place it in a box so that we may quantify it. This is dangerous as it leads to conflicts of ideas when we are simply using different languages and terminology to describe something that is possibly of the same source. Why must one be of a divine nature and the other not? Why must one be material from another three-dimensional space and the other unquantifiable? My research, that I will further entertain and express here over the coming days, weeks, months, and years, will show interesting and misrepresented qualities of many of the events that have taken place and have been categorized to one or the other, and that actually seem to show evidence that it is more likely that much of these events have a non-material quality to them that they perhaps take place in both an altered state of consciousness and sometimes materialize themselves in our three-dimensional reality. But, and this is not final, but is an expression of presently studied evidence, it seems that it is likely that these entities are not of the reality that we perceive with our eyes. 
Interestingly, what makes this a true miracle is something that came of the event afterwards. Just as we often see with these types of miracles, which I will correlate in later essays, hundreds of people with previously life-threatening illnesses reported miraculous, spontaneous cures. A final statement. We are not here to conclude, merely to offer a possibility expressed through evidence so that you may, if you so choose, research further into what's possible and realize that there is still much that is unknown. We are truly in the rudimentary stages of evolution and we should behave as such. We should be humble and open to what may be possible. My hope is that what is shared here and throughout the information I have and will continue to publish will inspire others to delve deeper because we all have the potential to make a breakthrough, to change the course of what we know and how we think for the sake of us all.